Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Zero to Hear podcast. I am your host, Denny Duma. Tonight on the podcast, two awesome, impressive young entrepreneurial ladies, uh, Lucy and Daphne from the Salt Design Company. We kind of get into a little bit of everything, chatting about the beginnings of their business, uh, what they do in terms of helping businesses uh, build brand, and we chat a little bit about our parents going to boarding school and the emotional uh, disconnect that we felt with our parents. It is what it is, and uh, just kind of how we've used that to push ourselves forward in our self-employment careers. Uh, hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Daphne and uh, Lucy. How are you guys doing today? Good. How are you? Good, thanks. Super excited, actually. I'm uh, pumped to hear a little bit more about your business, but I want to start, and this is going to sound very negative, Carl, but... It- Uh-oh. In our opinion, I'm speaking for you guys as well, apparently, it's a very, very positive outlook on life, and I like talking about failures. And I know you recently did, do you call them seminars, events? Events. Event events. events yeah. You did an event on failure. So give us a little bit of background on, first of all, why that, the, that was a choice of topic, and then to how you're presenting failures as this ongoing positive. Mm-hmm. Do we want to get into the long story about this? Absolutely. Okay. So it's mainly started, um, I want to say almost two years ago, we decided to start hosting panel talks partly as like community building and marketing. And we hosted a couple that were your standard speakers sit in a row, guests sit in front. And it felt really lame and hollow. Yeah. And we left and we were kind of checking with each other like, oh, that was informative, (laughs) I guess. And it just didn't feel good. It didn't feel great. It didn't feel like a good way to be hosting events. So we switched things up. I imagine those types, like when it's panel organized, it feel very service level. Mm -hmm. Like no one's really giving real life examples. It's more just like, oh, I heard this kind of very broad knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And then people there, they don't want to interact too, because it just feels like question and answer time. You're like, this is kind of dull you know yeah Yeah. and so we it got to december of that year we'd done a few we'd done some workshops and we were like no one wants to learn in december no one gives a shit let's find a local meditation studio moment meditation was open at the time they had a circle of couches and like pillows and you could just come and sit down we're like that's perfect and the front lobby is kind of has an apartment vibe as well so like let's just have some mulled wine let's get in there let's get real and like we're all just sat on the floor together basically (laughs) and we talked about living life on your own terms and we invited some people to come and be essentially guest speakers but you know they were there to kind of aid the conversation and lead and guide as an example but anybody could opt in anybody could talk and they was you know they sit wherever they're not in a row in front of us they are just part of the group and we left feeling so much better about it and everybody else felt so kind of fulfilled and excited and you know we're still sending us messages days later I feel so good I feel so buoyed up I feel amazing and we're like right well we're never going back (laughs) to how it was (laughs) so from there we started alternating Every month for just over a year, we did a panel talk, then we did a workshop, then we did a panel talk. And it was always around these different topics of essentially mental health, but with a slant on just life 
and that it could be relative for, it could be relatable for business owners or entrepreneurs, it could be anybody. And um, then one of my friends who's a writer, she said to me, I really want to talk about failure and I would love to team up with you to do it because I think this is something that small business owners aren't talking about enough. And I think this is a way where you might be able to find kind of your audience because they'll be, they'll resonate with this. And so, so Mara, who it was, um, I just was like, yeah, perfect. Great. Let's do this. Don't really say no. And uh, so she, she was the writer and the voice. She did all the interviews and we did a year of interviews on failure. And we were asking questions like, what was your experience with failure as a child? What types of things were your parents? You know, can you think of memories of when your parents were reacting to a failure of yours? Or what did they teach you about failure? Whether it was just learning to play the piano, you didn't make it onto the sports team, whatever it might have been, what do you remember? And then can you think about how that shapes your life now? Kind of became therapy. (laughs) I think that was a breakthrough moment for Lucy and I. I remember it was like Sunday morning. And she's like, we're doing our interview now. I was like, oh, cool. I'll just take my blanket into the living room. It's fine. So I'm like huddled there. And she's asking us like really, really hard hitting questions. I was like, oh, uh, Lucy, you're still on the phone. Okay, cool. Like here is just everything about my childhood and how it shaped me and failure. And she's like, oh, I didn't know that about you. I was like, yeah. yeah. And like vice versa. So that was that was really neat. Reading all of those interviews was pretty intense. Yeah, we did the first interview mm-hmm. to kick it off and to kind of set the stage for vulnerability. But yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we didn't know about each other. Mara just rang us at the weekend. Yeah. And I think that was the first time where it's going beyond, you know, our friendship that had already existed for a year or two at that point and beyond just the day to day of work, because you were working part time at the moment. And a lot of our conversations had to be checking in on work or then we're with friends and we're just not thinking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was a really great opportunity for us to learn a lot more about each other and our the reasons why we are the way we are yes and i remember i think you were like oh now i get like i get you more yeah this clicked i understand why you are type a or i understand why you are a certain way and, and same for me with daphne um and so it just went from there and it really opened up a lot of conversations and so we did one interview a month for a year and then that finished so you were doing the interviews Mara was doing the interviews yeah so we just let her kind of take the reins and then we were essentially the vehicle or platform for them to live on and through our community and the people we were interviewing were part of our community so it kind of just gave her as kind of a pseudo part of our community because she is a full-time writer with a, a larger tech company so she doesn't she doesn't fall into our community in the same way because she's not like an entrepreneur or a small business owner but she wanted to be part and kind of be asking these questions with people who were in that in that capacity. So that was the demographic of the interviewees was small business owners mostly? Pretty much. Most of them were, there was like freelancers. Um, she interviewed her husband at one point because he's a freelance game designer. Okay. So kind of a mixture, but essentially they're making their own money. The first thing I think about when I hear like most of them are small business owners is, is there a lot of correlation between like how these entrepreneurial type people are dealing with whether it's childhood failures or throughout their life, how they're overcoming them. One thing I always like talking about is overcoming adversity. And I think entrepreneur type people are very good at that, mm-hmm. are very good at using a negative to, and turning it into a positive. I think what, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. A lot of them just had had enough shit come their way. <laughs> a lot of shit. Either. Yeah, yeah, they just were just like, I just, I was at the end of my rope. I don't know what to do. Like all of these things kind of snowballed 
and like and that's that's where I was now with all of my failures so I think that's the either you get enough shit thrown at you or you just get tired of it yeah I never actually really thought about it that way that that failure puts them in a position for perseverance for bounce back bounce back ability or whatever you call it um but I think that is the commonality is that you whatever comes your way you're just like whatever I'm gonna keep going like singularly focused this is the goal this is what I'm working towards just gonna keep going mm-hmm. there's kind of no choice even if things one of our interviews Chloe she did have to close down her business she started like two others since she's just like well, I have mm-hmm. ideas I have a vision for the way I want to live for the type of work I want to put out into the world the type of impact I want to have I'm just gonna keep going I, th- I think as a small business owner you have to be crafty as well like a lot of the people were just like this this happened, how do I leverage it or what can I do? And they usually come out, even if it's from left field, they'll still be doing other things. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing I found reading all of those interviews. I was like, holy, I guess that everything was the worst and now you've, you're fine, I guess, like from a surface level, but you are doing things and you are trying to progress your life. So, mm. yeah. What was your experience in terms of dealing with failures? And how it's kind of shaped you into who you are today. I tend not to look at many things as true failures. I tend to think of them as just learning experiences. Um, From the outside, it might seem like, you know, I I dropped out of university, uh, so I don't have a degree. That might be a failure to some people. Me too. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Took me a long time to figure that one out. Um, But that's because I had stuck to a plan from the age of 11 and hadn't really swerved and I probably should have swerved and so when I got there and was doing it I was like oh yep shouldn't be doing this (laughs) leave um and just not knowing what was really right for me rather than the path that society sets out for us which is get a degree get a job live your life and then you start working for the government (laughs) (laughs) and then you quit and go back to design school and start a design business (laughs) that's quite the transition yes it was (laughs) was it eye-opening hundred percent. I, I like Lucy, Lucy, you went and decided like, I don't want to do that. I did what I was supposed to do. And like, I have a bachelor's degree. That's great. Like, I don't know where it is at this point. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the transition was just, honestly, I was sitting at work one day. I was like, if I come here another day, I'm going to lose my mind. I cannot sit here day in and day out and just do the same stuff and nothing changes. So I was like, screw it. I'm, I'm leaving. I actually quit the government for the first time and then I went back to them just after school because I was like I need money and you can pay me money as I like we try to get the business going so the first time around I quit to just get something under my belt that is more hands-on so that's how I met Lucy Mm. my perspective on like using this whether you're using this word failure or learning experience or whatever the people and I don't really want to generalize but I also don't really care. Uh, it seems like the people that grew up when like wealthy families or like really well off or had very little struggle early on in their life have difficulty adapting into real life situations when they're on their own. Yeah. And not that I lived this like crazy hard childhood, but it was like very middle class. And I think I learned a lot through sport and just to like be numb to the feeling of losing just because it happened over and over and over again. And the only way to ever progress was to be like, okay, this is what I did wrong that time. This is what I have to do next time. We actually have a blog post coming up on why, 
working out or being part of sports and sports teams as a business owner is good for you and not just for like the mental relief Mm -hmm. but for the learning that you can push yourself and you'll be okay or you can experience what feels horrible in the moment but is actually amazing when you're done I played a lot of sports when I was younger as well Um, I did have quite a traumatic childhood and even though I come from we we had some areas of my life where we didn't we were my mum was really struggling when I was younger as a, you know she just left my dad and we she was a single parent and really struggling but generally my family is pretty well off we're reasonably privileged and obviously I'm white so that adds to it and I'm from England so I come with other privileges mm. but my parents dynamic was not good and I don't think I would be the person I am if I hadn't experienced a traumatic childhood so I am often strangely grateful for it I don't think I would be who I am. I don't think I would have had the strength to then go in and work in smaller companies and kind of stand my ground with middle-aged men who are telling me what to do and sometimes being rude or patronizing or whatever it might be. And I was like, I know the type of person you are because I grew up with you. So fuck you. And I'm going (laughs) to like, like I knew how to kind of get around that or what to say to, um, to just to handle it how to react to them in a way and also how to handle it for me emotionally as you know like a 14 year old working with that type of person i just think looking at it the other way in terms of like you're on one spectrum saying like i'm going to learn from this this is the best thing that ever happened to me or i'm going to make it the best thing mm-hmm. that's ever happened to me on the other side where people are feeling sorry for themselves and sulking it's just like a constant downward spiral i feel like i think when for me, because that was my childhood, that's just what you're used to. Mm-hmm. You have no choice but to go up. Because if you go down from the bottom, like, what's the point? So you have no choice. Because for me, I do not, like, I think that is a driving factor that I do not want my adult life. I'm not willing to settle for less because that was my childhood. My childhood sucked. So I'm not willing to be unhappy as an adult. So the only way is up. The only way is to make it better and just forge that path. So I think if you don't experience any kind of any kind of struggle, if you have a very easy earlier years, earlier life, then when it hits you as an adult, it's more likely to crush you. It's more likely to bring in insecurities and um, that kind of downward spiral. I don't know what to do because you haven't had to experience it. And that's yep. not to say that people who, have, who haven't, you know, they've had a wonderful life. That's not to say that they're any lesser or not going to do as well and they're not as good. Mm-hmm. I, like, there's obviously a personality thing in there as well. I just personally find that having grown up a certain way, I refuse to accept anything also, similar. like, when you come from the background, though, where nothing has happened to you and suddenly everything, like, if something goes wrong, they have no coping skills. There's no mechanisms there. Sure. And, like, that's the biggest thing, though, like, my my childhood was just I mean it was pretty terrible I wouldn't want to go back to it but it wasn't anything like Lucy's I was like I was a chubby kid I was Asian and it was tough so just I had to learn ways to cope with all of that and just I've I've kind of grown up just being like literally the worst thing that could ever happen to you is if like if you die which you haven't clearly so <laughs> you're gonna move past it and you'll 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 be fine and so just it's learning ways of just becoming stronger and more resilient to the kind of crap that happens to you i think that's where we're like when things happen in childhood it's almost like a blessing in disguise yeah and i think you know it doesn't have to be an extreme it can just be your parents berated you over how you're learning the piano it could be really small Mm -hmm. and just if you have that one little notch in your belt that gives you a bit of 
like fire in your belly to just be like, no, I'm going to prove you wrong. Or, no, I'm going to do this. Is there like a specific coping me- mechanism that you have become accustomed to use or something specific that goes through your head when you're faced with a challenge now because of those experiences? Yes, I am able to kind of remove myself from the situation and see it from an outsider's perspective, which is what I use a lot of just like, literally, you're scared of this thing. The other, other, everyone else around you doesn't give a shit. Like you're scared of doing this one thing, like going to meet all these new people. Like ultimately, these people are going to go home and they're probably not really going to remember you. And I don't mean that in a negative way, though. Mm-hmm. Because, but like, so the things that I'm insecure about, it's a lot of just like social settings and situations. And that's how I kind of get through it. Like, think of yourself in that situation outside of it. It's just all pretty much nothing. And they're probably <laughs> thinking the same thing. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. I like to always just remember that no matter what happens during a day, at the, at the end of that day, I get to go home to my nice apartment or even just my bedroom when I lived with roommates. And it has my stuff in it and it's a safe space and I can put on a movie and eat dinner and like, well, really life isn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) Like even if something, you know, leaves you feeling crushed or in tears or you don't know what's going to happen the next day, like in that evening, you're fine. You're just home watching TV, texting your friends. Yeah. Great. (laughs) The reason that I got so excited when Daphne brought up her point of view is because I literally say the exact same thing. But I kind of, the words that I use are like, what's the alternative? So when there's a challenge, if I struggle through it or if there's some sort of failure, pull out the positives and learn from it and move on. Mm -hmm. But like dwelling and sulking is always a losing formula. Mm -hmm. And so that's the way I always talk about it is. That's how we've grown our business though. (laughs) You have to have your like 10 minutes to wind and cry and like, you know, do whatever you need to do Mm -hmm. to be frustrated and then just move on. Because what's the alternative? Yeah. Move on, fix it, come up with some solutions. I think that right there is such a uh, a big factor, though, is just how quickly can you move on? Yes, it's. I think it's fine to have moments of weakness and be emotional about a loss or what you know, whatever the situation is. But how quickly can you bounce back? At some point, you have to. Yeah. Yeah. And go work out. <laughs> yeah, that that actually helps too. <laughs> like genuinely, yeah. just go. Find some way to be active and you won't be thinking about work. You won't be thinking about what that person thinks of you. You'll just be in the moment focusing on what your body is doing. And you'll get better and fitter and stronger and then be focusing on that. And it will feel amazing. Isn't it crazy? So good. I started working out, I don't know, two and a half years ago now. And it, well, so I played sports all my life until I was 21. Then had like a five-year window of not doing anything, just working. And I felt like shit. And I was gaining weight it's a really bad feeling for me growing up super athletic and in shape when i would sit down and my underwear flap would fold over that was the <laughs> moment for me i'm not joking that was the moment for me where i was like okay I need, something needs to change here <laughs> i think that's why girls love high-waisted jeans so originally like, getting back into running and working out was like strictly physical I wanted to lose that like 15, 20 pounds that I had gained. And now it's 100% mental for me. It's my like one hour of peace every day where like I do my best brainstorming for business or what, you know, whatever it is. And maybe I shouldn't do this, but like my phone is always in my hand because I'm writing notes down. And like even this morning going or going for the run, knowing the podcast is coming up, like writing down little notes as they pop into my head of like what I want to talk about failures, whatever, whatever. 
Well, like, I'll put it away, but, like... Or do you have to jog and then stop? Just, like, look at that again. Depends how long the comment is the one right down. If it's just, like, a few words or a, a small phrase... And keep running. I'm just running and doing it with one hand? Oh, yeah. I must look like the biggest idiot. <laughs> She'd be like, that guy can't get off his phone. Get off Instagram! <laughs> yeah. probably what it looks like. Probably. And especially now that the cherry trees are out, there's always selfies going on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we both work out a lot during the week. And if I do even just less than three times a week, I go a little bit crazy. And I hadn't really made the dots, connected the dots yet. And my counselor pointed out to me at one point, she was like, I think you got through your teenage years and your childhood because you were always playing sports and you were on teams. And that was your mental relief. That was your self-care at the time. Mm -hmm. And obviously it wasn't intentional. It was just part of your life. She was like, I think that kind of just saved you. It's like that quote from Legally Blonde. Exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't kill their husbands. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I love that we just got legally blonde in there. (laughs) It's so true though. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, like, could you feel your mood change after sports stopped? Yes. Did you know it was happening? Not for a while. I think it was in hindsight. I know that. So when I um, left high school and I had been on a lot of sports teams and outside of that, you know, I was on teams for badminton, tennis, field hockey, netball. I did the swim team. And then in the summer, if there was athletics and it was like a high level, like I played for our county for four of those. Yeah. And I did 10 years of ballet. Did you sleep? Like, I was going to say, what did you not do? Well, it was all seasonal. I did have to stop because I was doing County Netball and then it became, I was trialing for the Southwest of England and I had to choose, do you want to do netball and hockey or netball and badminton? Like I had to make a choice at some point. Yeah. Um, and then outside of school, I snowboarded and I did windsurfing in the summer and it was like, I don't know, we grew up, I grew up near the water. So we would do rowing a lot as well. My mum's a rower. It was just part of, life and then on the school teams like it was built into our school programming so for instance Wednesday afternoons we didn't have lessons we had kind of optional time but if you were good enough to be on a team you were forced into doing training on a Wednesday afternoon (laughs) so it was just part of my life from like the age of three and that was just it um and then when I left high school and moved to Canada and was I took a gap year between school and university and so I was like well I guess I just kind of run now and then I, you know, I had some health issues and I wasn't, and I just, you know, I had a, like a thyroid issue and I just sunk into depression. And then my first semester of UBC and my mom was like, and we're pulling you out of school because you are not doing well. And I was trying to be in the gym and trying to do things, but it wasn't until I found like a, a real routine with that or a community with that. And then everything kind of went back up again. What, I guess the question for you as well, and more maybe directed at your childhood, but like what, what, uh, what things have you found that get you out of those depression states? Because I think everyone, regardless of whether they're willing to admit it or not, goes through those more often than they want to talk about. Because we're talking about the ability to snap yourself out of something. Which I don't think is the soul. For me, I have to accept this is how I'm feeling right now. So just live with it. 
And then do what you can to kind of self-soothe. So if that means dimming the lights and like lighting some candles and watching a favorite TV show and just accepting I feel like crap, let's embrace this and just do what I can to embrace that feeling. And then hopefully it will pass quicker and you just embrace it. And I have to say, I think this again might be a generalization. I think women experience those highs and lows more frequently. Mm. I know that at certain parts of my life, hormonally, I've been, you know, had more depression where it might be a week before my cycle starts. And you don't even realize until it, you come out of it. And you're like, oh, I feel good again. Oh, okay. That means I was not feeling good. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> uh, so you just kind of get used to it, I guess. And that's almost just, you just accept it and that's your coping. Just like push through yeah, it. I, yeah, I think so. It doesn't really sound like a coping tool, but it kind of was. I was like, right, this is how we're feeling. We're just going to be a sad emo kid for a bit. This is also a generalization, but Asian families don't get depression. You just crush all your feelings and then just push <laughs> it away. So you just kind of learn other ways to, to deal with that. I don't know. I guess growing up, like our house was always really busy as well. And there's always things happening. And so I just, I felt like, I don't know. My childhood is weird now that I look back on it. I don't really think that I wasn't particularly super happy, but I wasn't unhappy. I spent a lot of time by myself too, but I'm not an only child. So it's a very strange upbringing. I think I just kind of learned early on to just kind of cope that you'll, and again, I don't mean this in a negative way. It's just, it's a lot of you time that you'll be just by yourself playing and doing things. So I don't know. It's just never been that much of an issue for me until Lucy's right. You get older and then you get hormonal. It's like, I'm so sorry. I snapped at you for a whole week. <laughs> it is always a week. Yeah. Like, oh God. Yeah. Here we are. Do you, Daphne, do you find that because you're, let's, you said your family kind of like suppresses emotion. Do you find that you're more wanting to talk about it? No. no. You're <laughs> no. still just like. Uh, it's a learning curve for yeah. sure. <laughs> Growing up in that environment, you don't talk about your feelings. You don't talk about any of that stuff. So it's like everyone's always, you can be angry at each other, but anything beyond that is just, it doesn't really exist. Like my dad, my dad grew up in a British boarding school. British boarding schools are a hot mess <laughs> to just ruin everybody. And he is still feeling the effects of that. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so like he made life miserable for everybody as well. He's fine now because he's got grandkids. So it's like, we're all just chopped liver. But, <laughs> but yeah, I just growing up when you don't talk about your emotions, it's really hard as an adult to do it. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think when you're in that setting, you're not given anyone to talk to because you're, there's like a house master or house mistress. I went to a private school that has day boarding um, and like some boarding with very minimal number of people who are boarding. My mom went to a boarding school um, and she was miserable, but m- my aunt loved it because your friends are there with you all the time. But there's no, you know, you don't have that parent role because the house master or mistress is really busy with other people. So it is kind of just you, you go to class and if you're struggling, I don't know. so I can imagine that that probably impacted him. Yeah, they shipped him off too. So, yeah, so they, from... they, yeah, they grew up in Hong Kong and they shipped him off. My, um, my aunt's got to stay home too. So I'm sure that was kind of a big deal for him as well. Yeah. And that's pretty common because mm-hmm. we had, uh, there was two Korean girls in my school who again had been sent over by their parents and I know that at my mum's school they had um Japanese students so she knows Japanese swear words because <laughs> all the girls were teaching <laughs> swear words um and so each school had like a specific 
well, we have the Korean kids, we have the Chinese, you know, it was kind of very strange like that, where the, I guess, I mean, you tell me, like within, especially from mainland China, where they're like, whoa, it looks better, or it seems, you know, they're going to save up and send their kids to a English boarding school. Yeah. For my dad, it's like, you're the boy in the family kind of ordeal. Yeah. I've never put this together, but uh, now that you bring up boarding school, my dad went to a boarding school, I think in Sydney. He grew up in Australia. And he is, let's say, one of the most emotionless people I know. (laughs) Meaning, like, he shows zero emotion. When he, and I kind of, like, make fun of it now, knowing that what it is now. But he'll, like, see me and he'll, like, be like, hey, Denny, how you doing? Go to shake my hand. And I just, like, give him a hug, right? But he's so awkward. And growing up with him, like him and my mom are very, very conservative. So the reason I asked that question about do you find yourself like being the opposite now is because I do. I felt the same in in that, not that my childhood was the same as yours, but just I had those feelings of like emotions are bad. Don't say anything unless it's like something nice about someone kind of thing. And now I'm like the opposite. I just want to talk about everything. If I have a problem with someone, I'm going to like Carl, I don't like your beard. Oh, I love, I love Carl's beard. <clears throat> but I, I feel like I'm over the top now in terms of just wanting to know the answers to everything and expressing everything. I find it so interesting that it's generational like this as yeah. well, and that you know the impact of the British, <laughs> because hello Australia, hello China, and also even one of our events. Um, we had a racial activist, Rachel Ricketts, speaking with us. And she was pointing out that the kind of keep calm and carry on mentality was even, you know, back in in the times of the war, her grandparents who were in Jamaica were affected by that. And so her parents were taught, don't think about emotions, don't talk Mm. about emotions. So she was, you know, and so there's this worldwide two or three, even four generations who were taught not to talk about their emotions just because of this one time in history where it was like right the blitz happened yeah we got shit to do we can't we can't deal with our emotions right now and then decades later we're still like oh my god my parents just don't want to talk about emotions <laughs> like we're still dealing with that decades later and i just think that's crazy that's nuts did your parents ever ask you about your feelings growing up yeah no i had pretty good parents they're pretty open yeah really but, yeah because they're eastern european usually those people are quite surprising i guess like my dad's pretty quiet but I mean, I still, I feel comfortable talking to him about anything. Yeah, same with my mom. My mom's super cool, so that was mm. easy. Well, fuck you then, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. All right, let's hop the table. <laughs> okay, let's chat about your business. Let's do it. Uh, design mm-hmm. and design, build, grow. Give us a little background, whoever wants to start. Kind of like what you do, what type of clients you attract, sure. where you're getting business from, how long you've been in business. So we founded our business in late 2015 and officially launched early 2016. Um, We founded straight out of design school. We both, like Daphne was saying earlier, she left her government job. I had left university and then done another diploma back home in England and then decided to come back out here to do another diploma. And that's where we met. So we kind of bandied the idea about in school. Oh, wouldn't it be so fun if, you know. And within, I think, two months of graduating, we had filed and registered our business 
got drunk one night and decided this <laughs> like, is what we were going to do. do. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually we were, we were lucky because of Daphne being from Vancouver, she already knew people. And so when we graduated, someone reached out and said, hey, I need a poster. Can you help? And you messaged me and said, I want to do this, but I don't want to do this by myself. And I want to do more than just like a poster design. So we teamed up and I said, yes. And also, can I do the business side? Daphne said, yes, please. Can you? <laughs> And um, we launched a website in like February and then I was full-time by August and have been since. And then Daphne came full-time the end of last year. Uh, We work primarily with small businesses, entrepreneurs, individuals hoping to grow into a small business. Uh, We do full brand development and design. So we focus on kind of brand strategy, voice, messaging, language in order to create a strategic design that is actually going to impact and help you achieve your goals and grow your business. So we've been doing that from day one and that's been our mission as well to kind of demystify the glam of entrepreneurship, debunk some of the jargon. We knew that having been through school, you know, there's a lot of words that are confusing and we didn't want it to be confusing because uh, we realized once you know, you know, and it's actually quite easy and you just don't know because you don't know. And it's yeah. really as simple as that. It's not that anyone is any less smart or clued in you just don't know um so we started with that and primarily for content marketing but also just to start explaining things to our clients you know different file types color theory even just this is an rgb and this is in cmyk and we need you to know that when we give you files because you now have to use them and we wanted to set our clients up so they could use what we were giving them so we started writing blog posts just so we could kind of send them links and then from there, it became the event series, and then it became ebooks, and then it became an online course. We did two full day web design workshops where people could literally come without a website, leave with a website, and headshots. And so that became an online course. And all of that became Design Build Grow because there ended up being so much of it that it kind of needed a place of its own to live. Plus, we'd structured things so that we essentially had sort of three points of entry into the business where someone could just spend 20 bucks on an ebook, they could come to a workshop or they could hire us one-on-one. And after about 18 months of that structure, we found the people at one end of the tier were completely different to those at the other end. And so it just, we were having to dilute our own messaging a lot. We were having to make compromises and it just wasn't worth the compromise any longer. So end of last year, we split the two and so technically Design Build Grow is a brand new, still figuring it out. No, we have two businesses. <laughs> <laughs> and we signed ourselves up for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you have an Instagram post talking about figuring out who your ideal customer is. Mm-hmm. Who's your ideal customer? Is it someone who, <clears throat> or is it a little bit of both? Is it someone who's like been in business for 15, 20 years and just needs a refresh? Or is it someone brand new out of the gates that just doesn't know what they're up to yet? It's or doesn't know where to start? Do you want to take this or should I keep talking? <laughs> you can take it if okay. you want. <laughs> um, so our ideal client is either they are a brand new kind of year one of their business and they need a whole new brand and they know and are willing to invest in that brand. Um, and it might be that they want the brand, the website, the whole thing. It might be that they just need the brand. They'll figure out the rest. Or they are kind of years three to five. They've learned, they figured things out. They now just need a refresh or a rebrand based on either having had average or poor or kind of rushed design to begin with because they just wanted to 
get a logo and hold be on done with it. I am going to jump in here. Okay. That's not our ideal client. That's just a lot of our clients. <laughs> like, I just want to put that out there. We don't want people to come with mistakes. It's just no, it's not that kind that's of mistake. Kind of what is happening. That's though. the position yeah. they're in, and and then. I guess in that way they're ideal to us because they recognize that we're not doing that yeah. and that they can trust us to make it better now. Mm. Um, but generally, okay. It's make- just not as knowledgeable, right? When they're starting, they're just putting stuff together and saying, oh, it looks pretty good. Yeah. They have um, to be open to like what we're trying to lay down for them to sure. though. Like we're very foundational in everything that we do. And if you're like, if you're okay with that and you embrace that, like that's our ideal client. Yeah. They really appreciate what it is and they can see how and why it's going to set them up for the future and so a lot of that then turns into how we're trying to educate and inform that that is what we're doing um, and the importance of that but we also do recognize that for some people having that full process in the first year of their business isn't needed because they don't know like if we're going to ask them specific questions about who their ideal client is or who they're talking to and if they don't know the answers we can't really help them in a way that's going to last them for five years Totally. So we do kind of expect them to have a certain amount of the work done already. Um, so they, they need to be kind of prepared and informed and they understand the value and they like our style and they trust us. And if they can take what we've given them and like really run with it, that's also a really nice bonus. Like we, we do try to set our clients up with as best as they could so that once they take over, because we're expecting like we're not going to be here our, all the time that's not reasonable like you can't pay us for every little thing like yeah. we would love to but I, that's clearly not going to happen yeah so, they don't always have the budget yeah for that. like take our collateral and make it good and make it what we've set up for you mm-hmm. when you're approached by a new client what questions are you asking them to get a feel for their brand or what they're looking for we normally ask you know pretty overview what is your business what's your goal with your business who is it for but typically we can kind of tell or judge if they're like, oh, this is my existing website or um, what they want to do. And we kind of take it from there. And oftentimes for us, determining whether a client is a good fit actually comes through the way that they're communicating with us. Because it's normally very obvious if someone is either wanting something cheap and quick mm. or if they're sending us a random Facebook message and they haven't actually really paid much attention. <laughs> <laughs> And then you know that the process is going to be hard from day one. Yeah. And you're like, no, we, we can't, we can't do this. <laughs> um, whereas what we're lucky enough to find these days is that a lot of our clients, you know, at least 70% have been following us for a while. They like our style and they're ready and willing to invest in us because they see what we're doing is valuable and they are a dream to work with mm-hmm. and they communicate really well and quickly and easily. And they're doing businesses that, we love and value as well and typically those businesses are filling a gap or they're kind of just doing something that already exists but with a twist in order to uh, kind of do it better to fill that gap or just to do things differently Um, and it might be you know like we work with say a Pilates instructor but she's taking it into an online education sphere Um, or interior designers but they just have their own little creative touch on it or the way that they service their clients has more attention to detail or something you know they're doing something slightly different and unique uh, within an existing industry they're not necessarily like innovators of whole new products but they also really care about their customer service and the experience and the way they're doing it and that's what's unique about them often i just realized that <laughs> i had no idea i just put two and two together thank you oh. so glad i'm here yeah <laughs> uh, 
Just okay. goes to show that working for yourself yeah. is a learning experience every day. Yes. I mean, I guess I realized that and then just we never talked about it. Yeah. I never realized that they all had like a specific unique offering. They do. Yeah. I think I realized it when people would ask us, but you're just working like a yoga instructor or Pilates instructor. I'm like, yes, but. Mm-hmm. It is always but. There's always a but or an mm-hmm. and, and it's been that way since day one. So you wouldn't say that's something you're looking for, obviously, but it's maybe something that attracts people to you. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's also just a common commonality nowadays, you know, especially with health and wellness increasing so much. And, you know, there are new industries and there are new kind of trendy interests and people are following that and working with that. Um, so we do have a lot of clients in the health and wellness space. Um, we do have a lot of people who then otherwise are just attracted to us because of our style. They like it clean, modern, functional. Um, they understand that there's no need to have kind of the fluff around it, that it's going to look good, but it doesn't have to have all the like pink fluffy layers for no reason. <laughs> they like it clean, good, probably slightly feminine, <laughs> just because I'm in there and I'm more that way. <laughs> or they got recommended to us by a friend and, and then that doesn't go in our portfolio. Guessing a lot of your work is very creative. Yes. Would you say yeah? Yes. yes. But I like to think of it, and sorry, Daphne, I'll let you talk in a second. Um, I, like, I tend to think of it as like creative thinking. We're not artists sitting around sketching and drawing in the way that some of our peers are. We are creative in how we're approaching a problem and solving it. And that just happens to be in a visual medium. Do you agree? Yeah, I do agree, actually. Good good show. I mean, Daphne's a great illustrator. So in that sense, you know, we do hand-drawn illustrations for some of our clients' logos or branding. But the traditional way that you think of creativity, I think we bring more into our approach. Yeah, that's true. It's like creative problem solving, which I think is how some people describe, like, graphic design mm-hmm. ultimately. Like, if you're doing it right, that's what you're doing. Right. So we're constantly just solving problems. It's like a fun little logic piece every, like, every client that we work with. Yeah, and that really comes into specifically branding as well, websites as well, um, because there are certain parameters. And so you just kind of have to work within those for each business and each brand. And so what I think a lot of times people miss when they maybe look at a portfolio is, well, you could have done this, you could have done that. And like, yes, we had those ideas. But for like these 10 reasons, you know, we have a list of like adjectives and keywords that a brand needs to be or a demographic we're trying to attract, or a goal that the client wants to reach, like we have stuff to work within. And so luckily for us, that framework is there that then there's normally a kind of obvious solution visually for a brand. And that way we can just present that solution and go from there. You know, a lot of designers do kind of multiple logo concepts and let the client choose. But we find when we did it that way, that it would be, well, this is like the sportier version, or this is the more feminine. And it's like, well, no, we know it needs to be this rather than that so why are we presenting you both options sure yeah do you for lack of a better term do you ever have like writer's block days where you're you just can't figure out the right idea or the the creative juices aren't (laughs) flowing that day yes (laughs) on like a weekly basis i'm like what's (laughs) happening what are we doing (laughs) like what is this that does happen quite a quite a lot i find that there's we, we have those projects that are like everything flows through and you're like, great, here you go. And like the client loves everything. And then the other projects were sitting in there like, what are we doing right now? <laughs> we, we had a client who had a very, very like sporty concept 
but it was for like women in need and you're like none of this makes sense how do we solve this for you because she also wanted to have like a karate red colors like i don't know what <laughs> is happening well like how did we get into this spot <laughs> Yeah, and you figure a way through eventually, but sometimes, you know, when a client comes with a vision that you have to still kind of meet to a certain extent, or their personal, um, you know, and this what it needed to be a personal brand, so it was fair enough. But sometimes when, like I say, an owner of a business brings their personal taste into it, trying to get through to them, like, has nothing to do with your business. And then, you know, sometimes finding a balance of like, okay, well, we're going to try and do this. And then you're just sitting there like, Nothing works. <laughs> I don't know what to do. We're we're trying let like we're constantly being like we're trying to fit a like a square peg into a round hole, and that's what we're. I, I think at every time we finish another project, we're sitting down being like, okay, well that went weird, and I don't want that to happen again. So let's not <laughs> and like yeah. figure out a way around that so we don't run into that problem again because I don't want to have to deal with that. Yeah, and the only other time that I find creativity doesn't flow for me is because I'm caught up in the admin of running the business or the marketing or whatever it is and i need to just so get is it like the anxiety of knowing that there's a lot of stuff on the back end to be doing no not even that i think i just get in the mode of i'm sat at my desk and i'm doing emails and i'm doing all these things and so for me i find i need to just get away from my desk and if i know i have to say do initial brand design or name development or something more creative i sit on the couch i put on netflix i'm on my laptop because then I'm naturally more relaxed. And so the creativity can flow rather than I'm used to like, if I'm sat at my desk with my big computer and I'm, ding, 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 I'm, you know, I'm in business mode, not design mode, I guess. And so my brain just is now associates sitting on the couch. Interesting. So you almost need like stimulus. Yeah. For me, having the TV on is such a big distraction, distraction that I can't focus because there's noise in the background. And I work a lot from home and on my sofa in my pajamas. <laughs> do you have to write though when you're doing that like what are you doing mm, like it's just distracting i feel like i'm procrastinating if i'm focusing on the tv you know if it's a new show if i'm just watching something i've seen five times <laughs> just, that's just poison. just putting on reruns or something yeah which is the best <laughs> daphne what about you i how do you get the creative juices flowing? good question i find that i for right now, just because I'm so new to this too, I'm still trying to find my lane and find my niche. I am, I'm still on that mindset of like Monday to Friday, nine to five kind of thing is my work hours. So I have no idea yet. We're still, we're still working through that. (laughs) Yeah. I think you're more of a morning person. We are also, what usually helps too, is that Lucy and I will just start to like spitball at each other. And we always joke that we need, just need to be surrounded by whiteboards everywhere because that's how we kind of get things progressing too. So we, we are like just almost like yelling at each other, like, what if it was this and that and try that? And like, that's how I think too, whenever we're working on a project together, that's how we kind of get the ball rolling on creativity. Mm-hmm. And that's why we do find it's better to work together all the time because we can get things going a lot quicker. We can get ideas flowing. We just need to be next to each other, voicing them, getting them on paper, trying things and instantly saying, no, it's not working. Yes, it is. And we can just make progress a lot quicker that way when there's two two minds working on it rather than us kind of both separately siloed doing the work and then coming together to review it. And then sometimes it looks like dramatically different. They're like, oh, you went that way. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. did we? <laughs> we I guess we haven't talked about this yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like in a partnership type scenario, there are 
really good partnerships that help a business progress much quicker than it would if it was a sole proprietor. And then there's other situations where one's taking advantage of the other or one's not working as hard. Uh, my business is a partnership and I feel like we are so different that we just like work together super well. But how has your experience been in terms of running a business with another person? We're this similar setup, actually. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. we're, we have the same interests that are like keep us friends, but the way that we function and that we work is really, really different mm-hmm. too. Which we, we didn't learn until maybe a year in. Or I think we... We just didn't identify that until a year in because obviously what connected us as friends in design school, like you say, similar interests in TV shows, music, like the things that you become friends over. And then it wasn't until we were doing our first podcast interview two or three years ago and Katie was asking similar questions and we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's why we work really well together. Yeah, it worked out really well for us, actually. Uh, Lucy's like Lucy's the big ideas and she's constantly like juices are flowing she's writing ideas down all the time and like let's do this let's do that and I'm the one that's just like okay but logically I don't get it so we need to take it back because I I need you to go through the steps with me because A to B you're not there yet (laughs) which is perfect because it means also when there's a more detailed project or something that needs like coding Daphne can spend an entire day trying to figure that out. And I, you know, like I know it's being taken care of and she can get it just right because she wants to do the deep dive and like find the perfect way of making it work. Whereas I would probably just be like, oh, I don't care. I'm done. Like I, you know, like she said, see the bigger stuff yeah. and have the ideas. And I want to just churn through the work and get a lot of stuff done. Whereas Daphne pays a lot more attention to the smaller things and the logicalities, the practicalities of those things and reins me in and is like, okay, how, when? With who? Let's think about this. So yeah, I think we're really lucky mm-hmm. actually that we have similar people, but we work very differently. Like we operate very differently. Mm-hmm. Any big conflicts in the first few years? No. Not so much conflicts, but more just like maybe compromising over a different idea on where you want the business to go or whatever. No, I think early on, knowing that we were going into business together, I was just thinking like, I'm, I'm myself, I'm not quite very, I'm not confrontational at all, but I realized like if we're doing business together, when things kind of seem like, I don't like this, I don't like that, like start early on being, just being comfortable saying no. And then mm-hmm. everything kind of flowed after that. And it was, it got some, it got a lot easier now. Like when we don't like something, it's like, oh, I don't like that. It's like, okay, well then what are we going to do? Let's, let's talk through it and see what yeah. else we can accomplish and i really enjoy that mm-hmm. and i think it that brought in a level of respect for each other at the beginning where mm. we knew we could say i disagree or i don't like that or what about this idea and knowing that the other person would listen to you and take that into consideration um i think we respect the fact that having different voices within a team and now we have like three or four people total um how much value that brings of having that different perspective so we're always willing to listen to those ideas and see them and a lot of times um, like when Daphne was part-time, she would review every single thing I made for a client. She was in every project, even if she wasn't physically making it because I needed her eyes and her opinions and thoughts. And through that, you know, she became a really strong art director for our company because she could review it and, and give amazing tips and ideas and thoughts that I wouldn't have thought about by myself, but I could go back in and just kind of execute and finish. Um, so being able to just say from the beginning, I feel this way or I don't like that or anything like that. And then also, I think the only time we really, and it wasn't necessarily conflict, but I think I said something at an event that you just didn't like. And straight away, she messaged me afterwards. and like, hey, I just didn't like this thing. And I, want, I need you to know. And, you know, I need it to not happen again. 
And being able to say like, we value the business in that more than letting this petty small Mm -hmm. thing or letting the small thing become a petty, Mm -hmm. you know, resentment that we just need to move past it. And like, whoever is in the wrong needs to apologize and, and then move on with it. And Mm -hmm. I think that happened once and... And then that was that. Yeah, just I think deal with it. Yeah. I think I don't know about you, but I'm in the for the long haul. So <laughs> <laughs> I would like this to go well for a long time. So. Yeah, I think when you both bring a level of respect for each other's thoughts and opinions, and you're willing to subside to the other person, like compromise every now and then, and and admit like, okay, yeah, you're right, and that's a really good idea. And it doesn't have to be you know one person's wrong, one person's right. Just that you both have good and different ideas. And then knowing there's kind of a security and knowing like we we have like 10 year goals here. Like this is our job now for the rest of life. We're not building a business with the goal of selling it and moving on or leveraging it for a different corporate job or anything like this is our life. We now are legally tied to each (laughs) other (laughs) and we have to figure that out. Exactly. Yeah. Would you it sounds like would you say the biggest key in terms of successful partnership is just communication and honesty like you can yeah like just you can you can talk and talk but if you're not really honest about it it's just like that was something that i was like oh god okay i'm gonna tell lucy i don't like something i'm really worried and she's like okay good point i'm like oh everything is okay like it's not not, the world didn't end so yeah honest communicate honest respectful communication Mm -hmm. and i think we're lucky in that we were honest because we're both a bit sassy sometimes and sarcastic and you know like there's a work you where Daphne trains her CrossFit gym um one of the reasons I loved going there is because there's an instructor who's sarcastic and will just shout at you and you can kind of shout back and you're like fuck you Dave I'm dying and we just kind of I think we just enter life like that we're like weird sassy people so you know being honest kind of comes with being more sarcastic I think and it just flowed from there you mentioned earlier you, I forget the exact wording, but <clears throat> wanting to like expose the, that entrepreneurship is not that glamorous. Did you have some like preconceived notions coming in due to like what people post on social media or whatever? And what was kind of like the biggest reality that Before you weren't expecting? Before we started, it wasn't so like Instagram wasn't quite the way it is now. Um, I definitely see that a lot now and a lot of people when we did start you know oh it's so nice that you're not at your desk by 9 a.m i'm like yeah but i'm here sometimes at 10 p.m um or the the general messaging that it's easier than having a job or what you know you don't have a boss or any of this um but i know for me growing up it just seemed like business was for men in suits Mm. and that to be in business you had to be this level of like corporate professional that didn't seem attainable to me it seemed really daunting and scary and I was like, wait a minute, there's, you know, there's mummy businesses and like small mum and pop businesses owned by, you know, older people. What's in the middle? Where do I fit in that? And it turns out there is a whole community, but I don't remember seeing it. There's a lot of, well, if you're in business, you wear a suit and you carry a briefcase and you're a business person. <laughs> and I was like, I just want to wear jeans and like, whatever. I just want to be me but still be a credible business person without having to be, you know, going for venture capital or be in major news publications, but still be respect- respectable within a small community. So I think that's where it came from was 
just what was portrayed to me as business. And then now I see the glamorization of entrepreneurship a lot more. Um, and we've talked about this a bit recently with the kind of the girl boss era and, oh, you can just be a boss babe. And, you know, it's, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and just behind, behind the doors, it's, you know, it's a lot messier than than it looks sometimes well it's also you wonder like you say all this rhetoric on instagram but how much of yourself are you really following through with on in your day-to-day life and like when people meet you and all this stuff like is it a facade are you you're never this chipper all the time like relax please yeah and that's the thing is like we didn't want to be someone we're not when we do meet people in person when we are on instagram because we're not pink shiny happy people all the time when you're the head of a business can you 100% be yourself or is there some level of professionalism that is like consciously going through your head? I think that we operate salt as like we're a small business and we're an entrepreneur, but we also do pride ourselves on like a level of professionalism. That's not, it's not like a corporation, but it's still your business is business. There are things that need to be done and said and like the way you present yourself. So Mm -hmm. I know that I do personally, Mm -hmm. like I'm pretty like, I'm I'm pretty not curt, but on my emails, like it might seem that I'm super rude because it's just like this is how I operate emails. You know, I'm going to give you all the facts, and then just I need a response from you. And mm-hmm. so I I definitely function differently, like from my personal life to business life. But it's not coming from a place where you're being a you know I don't think you're completely changing your personality to be that. Um, I know that at least from what I see of you and also myself that we enjoy running a business and being business owners and that's part of our personality and the way we interact with our clients you know over email and in person like we're here to show them that it can be done and that we are here to support them and guide them and we're not going to be super formal the whole time but at the end of the day like we do mean business and we are here to help you with your business that is always our ultimate goal is to help you with your business and that the service we're providing is highly valuable and worth, you know, your time, your respect, your consideration and your money ultimately. Yeah. Um, but that's part of our personality, I think, as business owners, as entrepreneurs. Um, and that's always something I've been interested in. Yeah, we do like things a certain way and we're very adamant <laughs> on that. <laughs> we that's have just a process. <laughs> and it is surprising just to hear, just for, from doing this for so long, just people coming to us and be like, oh, it's really nice that you have this process. Like, what were you doing before? Just like... <laughs> like hand delivering them an invoice be like cool pay this thanks like we we thought that was kind of just normal things to have in place though because Mm -hmm. that's how how do you get anything done if you don't have a process you don't have the right systems in Mm -hmm. place and that yeah we really paid attention to that from day one and we're evaluating oh you know the client didn't fully understand this mood board is it where it was in the process is it what we said in the email is it you know what is it that didn't work and how can we make it better for the next person or was it just that person Mm. Um, and we've been doing that from day one because it felt really important to us for our clients experience in order to therefore grow our business and like enjoy running a business as well because there's less stress if you have a process in place um but yeah turns out not everyone does that (laughs) (laughs) like really a lot of people i was at a conference at the end of last year and people who have been i mean some of them are just freelancers but i still consider if you're freelancing you technically are self-employed you're kind of running a small business Mm -hmm. they were asking questions about like well how do you send invoices and how are you doing this i'm like excuse me what you're still asking (laughs) questions about this no get it together (laughs) it just baffles me 
But all that information is so readily, readily available. Mm -hmm. Google, how to write an invoice or program to write an invoice or... Like CRM, I don't know. Yeah. And you know that people, a lot of people want to ask questions and I don't mind answering them, but I'm like, hey, I just Googled and like found designers who'd written blog posts about this or who had made courses about this or... And I found a CRM platform that we liked and then we tested a new one and we preferred that. So we just, you know, and it makes our life easier. It makes running our business easier. You know, you've got to invest that time and money in it up front to set up your processes and your systems. And then everything kind of flows from there and you're not having to stress about it all the time. We are currently going through that stress, Carl. I don't know if I've <clears throat> mentioned this to you. We're switching CRMs right now. Not that we really had a, a real CRM beforehand which is interesting to say as a real estate company because anyone and everyone has a CRM. But we're switching over right now and it is crazy stressful. We have like 10 years of clients and like 4,500 contacts that we're oh. manually switching over right now. That is a full-time job right there. Yeah, we had to hire another one. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. I spent a whole weekend setting up ours and we didn't transfer any of our clients. We just, wait, we just phased them out. They're, so you can like... Is it CSV file? You like pull it, pull out a bunch at one time, put them in. Yeah. We have to like manually go through each one and make sure they're set up correct. Because if like someone's phone number in the last one was set up as home phone or cell phone or work phone, it'll just go into phone here. So you have to like go back and anyway, it's a nightmare. Have fun. So yes, I would agree that setting up a CRM early <laughs> is a great investment of time. For you to make a switch 10 years in or something like that's also still an advisable it's still a good thing. Long term, it'll be way more efficient for us. For exactly. Sure. You know, and software changes, new platforms. You know, we were with one platform for just over a year and then we switched to the one we're on right now. And it took some time, but so worth it because this platform offers so much more that it's kind of changed our entire business, how the entire client process goes. So it was definitely worth it. Is there like specific industries you work with? Is it kind of across the board? I'd say it's pretty across the board. Yeah, it's pretty across the board. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, health and wellness, like I said earlier, was pretty predominant. Okay. But that is still a big industry with a lot of different types of people in it. How important is brand? Very. Very. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> and that doesn't have to mean logo. And that doesn't have to mean colors. Your brand is really so many more things and really it's... Very similar to just having a business plan. But it's just knowing who your business is and who it's talking to. So what are people, I guess, what's the common thing that early businesses are doing incorrectly when they're coming to you? They don't know who their business they, is. They don't have like a, they think they have a brand, they have a logo and then that's it. And they're like, well, why doesn't this work? Mm -hmm. It's like you don't know anything else about your business. And that's fine for some because we guide them through with questionnaires and stuff and we get in front of them in person and, and talk about these things so we can kind of pull it out of them and then they see the value and then they understand how it clicks or they can really, once you start writing this stuff down and it flows out of you and you realize you did know it all along and you're like, mm. oh, that's all my brand was? Okay. And it's fine. But, you know, just not taking the time to do that often and especially if you're not going through a process with a designer who does that. Um then you don't have like a path that you're going down or you don't really know. So you could be having all sorts of different languages for your brand, all sorts of different messaging. You know, it just would appear confusing and messy and muddled, whereas we're giving it like, no, this is the path you're taking. And that applies to 
your brand messaging, your values, your ideal clients, um, how and where you're finding your ideal clients, all sorts of things. And that really is what your brand is. And we just create the visual identity that matches that and kind of expresses that. What's more important? Is it the product or service that this business is selling or is it the branding behind the product? You can say a combination. I mean, if you're selling like you. a, the freaking amazing product or service, then clearly you yeah. like you don't need a brand to support it on. But, but if, at the same time, if you have phenomenal branding, you could probably sell a mediocre product. Hundred yeah. percent. Yes. Yeah. I think one has to be good at least. Like, <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> like you can't sell a mediocre product or service with a mediocre brand. You're going to struggle. Um, but if you have a really good product and you get word of mouth, people don't really necessarily care. You know, there are plenty of businesses that are doing really well without even a website, without anything. But their product is amazing and they've been around a lot longer. They've probably been around longer than, you know, social media and, and having a website, which is why they have like the stable base to grow with. So would you say <clears throat> perfecting or for the lack of a better term, but perfecting the brand or service that you're offering is the first step and then working on the brand or is it the other way around i don't think you have to perfect your your product or your service first i think that comes with time and if you're brand new you can't expect it to be perfect out of the gate because your business has to exist for it to get better um and so having them in tandem can definitely help or getting that product and service kind of fine-tuned and then getting a really good brand identity and that doesn't mean you don't, you know, you, I would say you could just get a cheaper kind of logo or something in the meantime, but you can also just type something out and export it as a PNG. Like you don't need a logo as long as it's clean and like easy to read and modern as a whole. Like if you keep things simple, then technically you kind of have a brand, but at least it's minimal enough that it just supports whatever your good product and services while you're figuring that out. And then once you know different things about your business and how it's functioning you can go and invest in a in a full brand identity we do have a lot of clients that work in tandem with us doing that they have a new product or service and then they were like i want to launch this but i don't know where to start from Mm -hmm. so definitely it can be done side by side yeah and and often they'll find you know the brand won't necessarily change but the product and messaging might Mm -hmm. even if it's just a small tweak and so they'll have the the base and sometimes our work will support that and help them figure that out later down the line. And then they'll just need to make a few little tweaks, but the visuals are still going to stay the same. So it might be just the, the voice that they're using or the language and that might change. The I guess the other side of your business is the event series. Events, online education, community, all sorts. So there's lots of aspects. But I want to talk about the event series. Okay, yeah. <laughs> You're doing one a month now? No, we were. Oh, you were, okay. Now we are doing two a quarter, one event and one workshop. What are like some of the topics that you've had them on? Anxiety was one, right? Mm-hmm. Anxiety, we had living life in your own terms. We had intentional habit setting. Um, we had dealing with overwhelm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. I have a whole list of them somewhere. Um, and then also just our workshop. that would kind of go into anxiety? Yes, it did. That was our last one of the series last summer was Overwhelm. 
Um, and then in between that, we just sprinkled like SEO workshops or web design workshops or kind of more practical hands-on things. Is that a big thing for a lot of people? Workshop? Dealing with overwhelm. Dealing with overwhelm. It is for me. I think it. I think it is. is. Yeah. Um, all of our panel talks have pretty much sold out. So it's hard to tell like if one is, we limit. So we really only have like, depending on the location, max either 15 or 25 people in order to foster an intimate conversation as well um but that one was definitely full and busy and I think that one in particular I remember really resonating with a few people who got quite overwhelmed during the talk and were in tears because they had kind of a safe space to share um and we had three different speakers there I believe and we were again kind of sat in like an outdoor uh, couch area so quite cozy and yeah, everyone for that one in particular came with quite big overwhelm and stories and stress and really needing a place to talk about it. And and it was the same with the anxiety conversation. You can really feel the need for it in the room and how eager people are to open up and share. I think that's one of the things that is overlooked by someone who is not running their own business is how much stress, anxiety, overwhelm, whatever you want to call it, that you deal with on a daily basis. And there's so much stuff that maybe you just don't even think about. There's no one to ask questions to. Like, you are the answer. There, like, obviously financial stress involved with running a business. For me, a lot of it early on was just, like, unknown. And I would, I don't know why this would cause anxiety, but just, like, not knowing something, even if it was a really simple solution, just not knowing the answer and not knowing where to look for the answer was a time waster. and built a lot of anxiety lady google is your best friend i know <laughs> she is wonderful but google t- can't tell me how to write a subject to sale no <laughs> there's like specific contractual questions that when you're dealing with people's biggest investments in real estate you don't want to make mistakes on contracts so even just like the amplitude of what we were doing on a daily basis was overwhelming anxious for sure yeah, we always send um, a thank you card at the end of the project just saying thank you for trusting us with your brand hmm. because we appreciate that it's a pretty big thing to put in the hands of someone else and to be spending anywhere from, you know, four to $15,000 with us to take care of that for you. And, you you know, they're starting a project not knowing how it's going to go, what's going to happen. They don't know the process like we do. So it's such an unknown. And I think it's the same when you start a business. You don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to go and every day every month is different yeah. and you're like oh yeah. god <laughs> what am i doing today oh that, yeah that okay. is interesting though i wonder what the difference is because i know like when you a lot of the people since i started working with lucy like in that small business sphere everyone's very open and like willing to share and all that mm-hmm. when you go to like corporate jobs and all that everyone is so shut in and tight but you totally. know everyone's like bursting at the seams <laughs> to just like yell and cry and freak out and so i'm like Something, there's something going on. Everybody should be in therapy. Yeah. It, just make it free. Yeah. Just have free therapy for everyone. Well, everyone has, has like, um, what's it called? Insurance oh. at work, too. <laughs> everyone has alcohol. <laughs> Isn't that just what everyone resorts to? Yeah, everyone's that's why that's you go true, to actually. That, that's work. why yeah. there's, like, Friday happy hours. That's true, though. Everyone has insurance when you have a quote-unquote real job. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest, probably the biggest surprise for me in starting the podcast is just how 
willing people are first of all to come on the podcast that i've never met i'm just sending instagram <laughs> dms to oh hello but to just how open they are about expressing feeling and like what they go through starting the business and all that kind of like fairly personal information mm, maybe too that's because everyone's been working by themselves for so long they really need they to tell someone like, about it <laughs> yeah well like this you know you um you're in a cafe or on a bus and there's like that crazy old lady that you can tell has been alone for so long that she's desperate to talk to mm-hmm. someone and i feel like that's kind of uh, like it's your podcast whole... <laughs> yeah and and maybe also now that everyone is starting to open up and talk more you realize how good it feels and so the the dam is open and everyone's like okay let's do this I also just don't care. I'm an open book. What's the worst? What's the worst? What's the alternative, right? What's the alternative? Keep it inside and drive yourself insane. Bottle it all up. Yeah. <laughs> you do like Daphne. <laughs> so you're starting a podcast. We are. What's the, what pushed you to start a podcast? We do like to talk. We tried YouTube and YouTube is too many layers of being looking good and talking good and all that. And we're like, this is a lot to take Speaking in. Speaking of, you're going to be on YouTube in a couple of days. <laughs> That's fine. We found, so we wanted to start a podcast over a year ago. We did, but we didn't do it. I don't know why. Our business coach advised us against it and we listened to her. Interesting. She suggested YouTube and it, it does make sense. We are still prepping some content to go out on Design Build Grows. YouTube has a bit more of a plan. It's a bit less time intensive. It's much more uh, consumable. And when we were doing it, we really felt like we had to have a script and we had to prepare the way that when, you know, you have a conversation like this and maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to Instagram story it. And then you realize, wait, people are watching this. There has to be like an end, a beginning, a middle and an end. And there has to be an action or something. And that's YouTube. Whereas with a podcast, you can just be conversational. I think too, once we split our business out, like Design Build Grow opened us up a lot more to things that we could pretend that we could do because like salt is like oh it's client work it should be you know a level of professionalism versus salt is just like let's just make crazy instagram graphics because that's who we are now mm-hmm. and so i think that's why we were like we can do the podcast now because we do have a platform for it because i don't think we want to sit there all day and talk about like stuffy boring stuff yeah <laughs> i think we want to talk about stuff that we've talked about on design build grow yeah and we do get a lot of questions from our clients or people who message us on instagram or facebook about quite specific things and we're like well we we would rather have a conversation about mm-hmm. it than have a sit down like you need to do this and here's the best way to do these five things and you know we see a lot of that content already existing and that was also true when we started youtube and i think we realized that actually the value for us does come in in sharing our personal stories and thoughts and having those conversations and then being able to foster those conversations with other people as well mm-hmm. yeah it would be <clears throat> I want to start doing this, but just doing like a listener Q&A type thing. Mm -hmm. But I guess what is the idea behind yours? Do you want it to be like fairly focused on business growth, branding, that kind of stuff? Yes and no. Yeah. So the concept for the podcast is going to be called The Messy Middle. And the idea is whether it's the messy middle of growing your business or just getting to your business, what is the real stuff that's not on your website that got you from point A to point B? And that might be what education you took, like, especially for me not having a degree, it was so the norm that I didn't know there was another option. I was just going to try and figure it out. And there are other options. And being able to talk about the different diplomas I did and all the things in the middle and the, you know, the stress and the worry I went through in the hopes that that might help someone else. And the same for business. What actually happens between point A and point point A and point B? Are you getting loans? 
Are there months you're not paying rent? Are there months you're not paying yourself? And then you're catching up two weeks later like we just did. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and just having those honest conversations. And then there obviously will be some other more focused things littered in between. We'll have some individual episodes of just the two of us chatting on specific topics. Um, but the whole time just highlighting, again, that kind of demystify- demystification of glam. Oh, my God. What's the word? The de-glamorization of entrepreneurship. <laughs> there Nailed we go. It. I don't know. Words. How often do I say that? <laughs> God, that just. So that was like a very similar idea to when we started. And it was maybe more. In my head, I had more of an idea of like only talking to entrepreneurs and like exposing the, I'm just using different words than you do, but exposing how not glamorous it actually is. Like social media glam- glamorizes it. Why do we keep saying that? <laughs> <laughs> it's but it's more like, I guess for me now, it's more just, I'm genuinely curious about so many different things like artists and like musicians and like literally anyone and everyone doesn't mean you have to run your business. It's just, Mm. I think a lot of people in a lot of different sectors have a lot of valuable information that can help other people. Yeah. And everyone has an interesting story to tell. And, you know, the glamorization of business and entrepreneurship is that only those people are kind of worthy of sharing their story. Mm. And that's not the case. Everyone and anyone has a cool story, has a back history. And just because you're running a business and you're kind of more front facing and especially on Instagram where it is your face all the time. It doesn't mean that your story is any more valuable than someone else's. Mm-hmm. And so finding, you know, we'll probably we'll be starting with people who are more front facing and recognizable, but then also finding other people who we don't know as well um, and seeing what kind of stories they have. I'm looking forward to that part, actually being able to get like more of a diverse group of people to get on the show. Yeah. One of the guys who was on the podcast recently here, who also runs a podcast. What did Brad say? What was the exact line? He said something like, uh, it's crazy how much more of a relationship you can build with someone in an hour just because there's a mic in front of your face. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how much more open someone is just because you have this atmosphere. That's very know. true. Rather <laughs> than like meeting at yes. a bar or That's very know, whatever. True. Yeah. 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 I, I've, when I was on Tinder for the longest time, people would just tell me like, I don't know how to read you. I was like, cool. You, that's fine. This is all I'm giving you. Who <laughs> would say that to you? Oh, I got so many people be like, I can't read your emotions. I don't know what you want. Like, are you, are you into it? And I'm like, eh, you probably out. weren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you find out. <laughs> say, check out my podcast. Yeah. That's where I am. The be most like, of <laughs> I've ever been. But let's talk for an hour with mics and you'll just hear everything about me. <laughs> it's weird, right? I don't yeah, know why. Is- I think it's the same with the events we do, actually, because there's, there's a, a focus, a topic. There's, you know, it's a fostered conversation. It's yeah. not when you're sat in a bar like, so... Who, who, tell me about yeah. yourself and you're like well where do we start like what do you want to know and it it's kind of all left in the air you're like I don't know what to tell you because there's so much whereas there's a purpose to this yeah and then it just flows it's cool to be able to do this at scale too so having these conversations I learned something maybe you learn something but just being able to post it and other people to hopefully gain some sort of knowledge or like oh i'm kind of going through that same thing and she got through it so maybe i can too kind of thing right you're not alone out there Mm-mm. in the entrepreneur world but it feels very lonely and you never lot. really know the impact you have until suddenly someone will message you about something you're like oh wait you read that thing or you heard <laughs> that thing like oh okay 
it's not just me in this bubble. Yeah. yeah, that still kind of freaks me out. Do people recognize you from your podcast? Uh, not yet. Or from your business? From business, 100%. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'd say about half of our real estate sales are in New Westminster. And so you, like, can't go into a coffee shop without seeing a past client or, like, someone you've met in an open house or whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's weird because I never thought I wanted to be that guy, that, like, face that people recognize. But you, you kind of, like, I guess it's different than what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was kind of, like, an arrogant position to be in, and I was kind of a reserved kid growing up. And so I just didn't really want the glamour. We're coming back to glamour. Yeah. Uh, but it's different. It's more, I feel, I feel I'm now in a position where my experience and me putting myself out there to chat with people can help others, can give some sort of guidance in their situation. If they're early in their real estate career or entrepreneur journey or, you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. if they grew up with parents that went to boarding school and <laughs> never had any feelings yeah it's so weird because it's like we make this choice to put ourselves out there mainly yeah. on social media or like instagram specifically i guess and you're like well i chose this but do i want people to recognize me mm-hmm. and you don't really connect the two until it starts happening like oh yeah i did put myself out there so i guess people but i most people that i see who have it have the same underlying you just want to help someone or you have a thought or a skill or something you can lend to someone and help them. I've gotten some negative feedback more from Instagram than Oh really? Than Oh yeah. Um no one cares that you go for a run every day. Like stuff like that, literally. But just unfollow then. That's I know. Some people <laughs> love that though. We so, had a conversation with someone at our very first panel talk who was saying that they follow um there's like this one specific woman on Instagram that they follow and they love being able to see and kind of check in every day like she's going for a run with her dog and then her baby and then like and then you see the kid grow up and it's almost like a stability or a habit to then seeing these people live their daily lives and they some people love that mm. I guess other people really don't it's just really powerful to get a message from someone saying like I've been following your journey it's got me back in the gym and I had someone mm. stop me on the street and say hey I follow you on Instagram this is super weird Follow you on Instagram. I haven't been to the gym in five years, but I've just been following you and seeing that you're working out every day. And I started going to the gym two weeks ago. Thank you for posting that stuff. That's awesome. It's so cool. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I'd rather deal with like a hundred negative comments and have that one yeah. guy trying to get back into shape or whatever who it is. Whatever it is. That is so cool. It's very cool. And isn't it nuts being stopped in the street? Like, wait, you know me? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, hello. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> weird. <laughs> But I guess you better get used to it if you just keep putting yourself out there. And if you're starting podcasts yeah. and doing speaker series and Instagram. Yeah, I've been having it happen for a couple of years and I'm still not used to it. Specifically, like if I'm at an event as a guest, like not speaking at an event and then chatting with people afterwards and then I meet someone, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I follow you on Instagram. I'm like, oh, OK, so you already knew who I was and I'm just, you know, kind of, oh, stranger, let's introduce ourselves. I'm like, oh, no, you already knew. OK. <laughs> I had a girl pick me up at a bar from instagram she i had like literally just gone like checking her like yeah yeah it's him it's him okay i think i just went for a run and then like met a couple friends for a beer afterwards and she comes up to me and she's like where are your funky socks because i love socks and i post sock photos like once a week and i'm like i'm i'm wearing shorts you want me to wear dress socks and shorts (laughs) 
<laughs> that was my exact response. <laughs> like I went and for she's a like, run. No, I'm just disappointed that you're wearing black socks. <laughs> and so it was like a bit of an awkward. Anyway. Wow. But she's like, oh, yeah, I follow you on Instagram. I'm disappointed that you're not wearing funky yeah. socks. <laughs> it's a bit interesting how people think that they like you're kind of there now. It's like an ownership thing. It's like, well, you're on Instagram, so I'm going to talk to you like yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, it creates conversation. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. If I didn't have Instagram, if I didn't have a podcast, I wouldn't be networking as much as I am. I wouldn't meet people all the time. It's insane. That's the other cool thing about the podcast, which I'm sure you'll figure out, is it just, like, forces you to network. That's a good point. It's not comfortable. You talk about anxiety and... It's not comfortable to sit on my phone for like an hour, a couple nights a week at like 10 o'clock and just be like, hey, my name's Denny. I have a podcast. Ri okay, I was like, risky. 10 p.m. DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel awkward sending to women just because I don't want to come across as that guy. Do you have any advice for me? You didn't come across as that guy. I think I, as long as you like tell everything up front. I mean, if you start with, hey, it's Denny and then just leave it. Then the girl's like, oh, cool. Hey, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Love your Instagram. <laughs> yeah. 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 When there's like room for what do you want, yeah. then you don't know. Then it's weird. Just cut to the chase of what you want. I've had enough positive response. I haven't had people negatively respond. Some people just don't respond. But I've had enough positive responses that I'm kind of getting over it. But that was always like in the back of my head at the beginning. Just I don't want to come across this. Flatten into yeah. the DMs. Just don't leave it up to interpretation and you'll be fine. And yeah. then, you know, you're not messaging them like, hey, gorgeous, would you like to be on yeah. my podcast? Yeah, definitely not that. Exactly. <laughs> so you're fine. Let's end like this. What is the big dream five, ten years out for Salt? Can we go with... Always. I just thought about it right now. So our kind of, I guess, five or 10 year plan is to eventually have a big enough physical space of our own that we are either A, running our studio from there as well as our workshops and events, or B, have a cafe and shop attached to it as well. Cool. With the premise that that space can be much more community based. We can have, say, local artists on the wall. We can host our events in there. We can have other people hosting their own events in there. People can buy, like, say, our products from the shop. They can take it to the cafe and like get a discount off coffee or whatever and just have it be kind of a hub for a community space. So it's like a boutique community center almost. And people can come and go. They don't have to, you know, if it's like a kid after school that needs a place to hang out, they can come hang out. If it's a place where we want to host our workshops, we have a space and our design studio could just be upstairs or next to it. I made a joke that I wanted to do goat yoga there, but I'm kind of set on it now. So... <laughs> I think she just posted a video of doing goat yoga. We'll christen it with some goat yoga. <laughs> or like bunny yoga. Yes, I could bring my cats Kittens. to work. Just a space to, for, for Is us Is that to... a thing now in Vancouver? Goat yoga? I think it's more in the burbs. Like, because Ash has what? done it for quite a long time. I feel like having goats in the city would be a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> just seems weird. Yeah. Carl, yeah. how many times have you done yoga? Ah, uh, like, n never. <laughs> <laughs> Would you open up your yoga career with goat yoga? Yes, I would. Yes. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Bunny yoga. Is there any, what, what are all the animals that I get to choose from? <laughs> okay, you got goats, yeah. bunnies. Bunnies? Cat, kittens. Oh. Kittens not, are hit we're and miss, not, though. We're Some not doing puppies. 
Puppies would be so Kittens? fun. But they would run around everywhere. That's the point. You think anyone's doing any real yoga and goat yoga? Yeah, <laughs> they're like climbing on your back. Beer yoga, which I've oh, also seen. I do that. Beer yoga, yeah, you like I'm hold okay the yoga that. can or just put it on your mat. Actually, I do that when I'm working out with my coffee. I'm just like, and quick sip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep this right with me. I don't know if I could do goat yoga. So you just do a I, couple poses and then you pet, pet a goat and then you go back? Yeah, they hang don't out right you put around them on your you. Back? They jump on there. Yeah. You they're put like, them on. They're like okay. teeny tiny. The reason cats scare me is because I've had a couple encounters with cats at people's properties when I'm showing them. <laughs> and some of them That's are just a different story. Not, <laughs> like they're angry in nature and they'll swipe at you. Because you are in their space. I understand that, like, but I wish out. I just could communicate with them and be like, I'm only going to be here for Don't 10 minutes. Don't make eye contact. Yeah. Don't make eye contact Is that because the you're a stranger. Yes. I'm trying to find a photo. Unless, unless you, I don't know. So a lot of people who, a lot of older people who have cats, I think they just don't raise them, right? My cats are like, they're like toddlers. <laughs> Puppies are like ch- like babies, but my cats are like toddlers where you can't leave them alone or else they're going to do something really dumb. But they're also very affectionate. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ash doing goat yoga. Hey, Ash. She looks slightly she's terrified. <laughs> I can't tell if she's having fun or she's like, I'm really nervous right now. I know this goat is kind of sat on her shins and knees as she's doing some kind of V sit. And it's like, is this goat okay? <laughs> what is happening? Does she teach y- goat yoga? No. Yeah. She does? There's a farm oh. in... Um, I want to say somewhere in Surrey or like Abbotsford, I think. Abbotsford makes Abbotsford, more sense. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a farm out there and she does goat yoga quite regularly from what I've seen on Instagram. Interesting. Ash will have, have to, to tell us more. Out, I feel like I mentioned <laughs> Ashley like five times so <laughs> Free plugs. Yeah, yeah, free plugs for Ash. <laughs> How can people find you if they need some branding advice? So we are Soul Design Co. And our website is souldesignco.studio. Because you don't need a .com domain any longer. Um, and we are at Salt Design Company on Instagram. We are also at Design, Build and Grow on Instagram. And our website for that is designbuildandgrow.com. Uh, we're in both of those places. Instagram is the easiest way. And then you can go from there. Beautiful. And, yeah. And keep an eye out for the podcast, which is called The Messy Middle. The Messy Middle. Yeah, cool. that's coming out in June. We've got a workshop coming up in May as well that we're yet to announce. Um, and we'll be busy all the time doing yes. things. We've got plans. There's stuff coming. <laughs> Daphne's like, I'm not so sure about all this stuff, but I'm just going <laughs> to go She committed. Yeah. She was like, no, we're doing two events a quarter. I was like, okay, we're doing it. Fine. Yes, people have to know us. It's a very, very stressful year, but it's got to be great. <laughs> thank you very much for coming on, ladies. That was thank a lot of fun. You. Yes, thank you. And we'll see you in a couple of weeks at mm. the podcast. Yeah. Thing. All right. Yes. Next Good. week. 18th. Is that next week already? Holy oh, shit. Thursday, this year yeah. is going back so fast. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Later.